What up, son? It's the tale of the tapes. The fuck life. Saying. Tale of the tapes, season two, episode twenty-eight. Today, I do not have any windows or doors open because it's raining out, but it's not that heavy right now, and it says it's going to rain all night, and I only have X amount of time to get this done, so I'm going to go for it right now. Hopefully, the rain or, or none of that doesn't really fuck anything up. It doesn't sound too bad in the headphones to me right now, so I'm going to go ahead along with it, and hopefully everything works out all right. So Today, we have Timbo King and M.O.P., So all artists today had their debut solo albums out in 1994, so we're continuing on in 1994 here today, and as far as my history with these artists go, I had absolutely zero history at all with Timbo King. I had heard his name before as a Wu-Tang affiliate, but really knew nothing of him at all, so I, I really just don't have much to say on him whatsoever, and M.O.P., I believe I had one album of theirs, which I liked. Um, I don't particularly remember which album it was or what it was called, but in general, I was never really like a real M.O.P. fan and was always a little confused by them because I felt like their energy was always that of somebody who came through and wrecked house. So like what I mean by that is like, you know, if you have some sort of cipher and you know, you have somebody that hops in and. Like, like a DMX could be a good example. Like somebody that just hops in with this crazy energy and just fucking murders it. And then just, it's like, okay, like who's following that? You know what I'm saying? I never really thought that MOP was necessarily as great lyrically to match their energy. That being said, all of this was obviously before the study started and I never really sat down and broke down M.O.P. I never, you know, really engaged in like studying their lyrics and things like that. So take my initial opinion with a grain of salt. I don't really remember off the top of my head if that held up or not or where they finished or whatever. So let's see now how it all played out for them at the end of the day. And we'll start with Timbo King as his debut album was out first. And like I said, that was in 1994. Birth name is Timothy Drayton. Born March 26, 1973. Origins listed as Bushwick, Brooklyn, New York, United States. And his genres are listed as hip-hop. So, a little bit of a background here on Timbo King. Timbo King, born Timothy Drayton, March 26, 1973, in Bushwick, Brooklyn, New York, is a Wu-Tang Clan affiliate and the best-known member and leader of Royal Fam, as well as Black Market Militia. He released an EP titled United We Slam in 1994 with producer Spark 950 as an early form of Royal Fam. He then formed the group 56 Platoon in 2005 along with some other ex-Royal Fam members. He has his own label Fort Knox and he released an album from Babylon to Timbuktu in 2011 largely produced by Bronze Nazareth. Timbo King can be seen in the Forrest Whitaker film Ghost Dog The Way of the Samurai. In 2013, he founded The Craftsman, a hip-hop and rock band with French artists Soul Street and Addison. In 2016, he released a debut video and single as Mineral Rights, a group he founded with musician Gary Lama. 
Also in 2016, he began a mixtape series with Mike Journey and Carmega called The Beehive under the production company Instastar, featuring songs with Capadonna, Intel, Mike Journey, Killer Priest, Young Dirty Bastard, Solomon Childs, Radar Van, and more. He is also related to Flavor Flav. So, not a lot there for Timbo when it comes to solo work or accolades, sales, or awards and things like that, but... What we do see is a well-diversified musician for sure, which I would hope anyone listening to this can respect. I mean, we're seeing, you know, a a hip-hop rock band with French artists. We're seeing, uh, you know, the other thing with the musician Gary Lama. We're seeing the mixtape series and things like that with a bunch of other rappers. So, like I said, obviously this guy doing all sorts of different things. Catalog is not very big, not much solo work. Not necessarily an abundance of hip-hop work in general, but, you know, just wanted to point out what there is and isn't there for him in that breakdown. And for me personally, I was not aware until this study that he was related to Flavor Flav. So that was news for me. I left that in there. I thought that was an interesting piece of information. And now let's get on to my technical breakdown of Timbo King. There wasn't very much to go off of with Timbo King. I will say that lyrically, there seemed to be a big separation in talent level between the United We Slam EP and the Black Market Militia album. Even with the small body of work, he was very inconsistent lyrically. He showed some improvements later on, specifically with syllables, but still took shortcuts often. There were also some terrible lines and song ideas early on that were made up for later, but overall he finished average lyrically. He only qualified one album and one EP for scoring. One of them was good and the other was average. He was not on enough songs on the Black Market Militia album to receive a score for it. His three songs on the album did count, however, bringing his total to 22, all of which were average except for two good ones. With no clear influences on any artists, not a big name for himself, and a tiny body of work, it's hard to give him credit for having much of an impact on the hip-hop game as a whole. Although Timbo didn't seem to borrow much from any other artists, he didn't bring much to the table either. So kind of a short and sweet breakdown there for Timbo King. Kind of the same thing as you see in his background. There's definitely a couple of different things there that needed to be noted, but not an overabundance to say about him. Very, very small body of work, obviously. So let's get right into the math of it. Lyrics, he gets a five. Like I spoke about, that was inconsistent. That was all over the place for sure. There were times early, there was some like some really bad lines. Uh, things like that. And then later on, he was, you know, he definitely showed improvements with syllables and he had some decent lines later on. But again, that kind of just climbed him out of the hole that he was in early. And we spoke about this last week with like Lauren Hill and people like that, how when you have this small body of work, everything you're doing is magnified. 22 songs here for Timbo King. So, I mean, if the guy's got three songs that are, are not so good, which to his credit, he didn't have any weak songs. He didn't have any great ones either, but he didn't have any weak songs. But I'm just trying to make a point. If, you know, his verses for a couple of songs are on the weaker side, especially if it's right away, he's going to go right below a five right away, right? And then he kind of stays there, does some okay things, some ad things, some kind of weak things, and it kind of stays there. And then later on, He's starting to rhyme a little bit more syllables. Oh, you know, okay, maybe he's back near average. And then he gets a couple good lines and it brings him right back to average. Because again, the body of work is so small that each bar and each verse is having a bigger impact on the overall lyric score than somebody like, uh, you know, E40 who had 400 and something songs 
one song, even if it's a weak song or a great song, is hardly going to affect E-40's song score and is definitely not going to affect his lyric score at all because with 400 and something songs, you're talking about probably close to a thousand verses there. One verse isn't really going to do anything to that score in totality. So 22 songs, obviously a lot more under the microscope. Each bar, each verse means a little bit more towards your overall lyric score. He wound up being even out of five. Albums, it gets a 3.63 with zero classics. Songs, he gets a zero. There were no great songs, no weak songs, so he gets a zero there, which, you know, that's not really something that I can't understand. I mean, with only 22 songs, in reality, I'm not saying it can't be done, but in reality, how many great songs, or even weak songs for that matter, do you really expect somebody to have out of a total of 22 songs? I mean... A handful at best. If you had five great songs out of 22 songs, I mean, that would be incredible. That would be a tremendous ratio. Over 20% of your songs would have been great songs, which is obviously incredible. But um, like I said, neither nothing there on either end of the spectrum, which is not super surprising with a small body of work like that. Impact, he gets a four. I mean, listen, you know, I'm again, I'm never here to shit on anybody, but we have to keep in mind what some people have done in this game. People like Tupac, people like KRS-One, people like Biggie, people like Slick Rick. You know, the list goes on of people that just had these enormous, tremendous, unforgettable impacts in hip-hop. Not only with their name and their image and the brand that they created, but with what they actually accomplished and did for the actual hip-hop industry or hip-hop game or culture or whatever word you would like to use. I mean, there just wasn't much there for Timbo King. And quite frankly, again, not to be a dick, but if he wasn't associated with Wu-Tang, I'm really not even sure at all that I even know who Timbo King is. And on top of that, like I said, one album, one EP, 22 songs, no clear influences on any other hip-hop artists, at least thus far. So, you know, almost lucky to get a four there. And I really do think that being affiliated with Wu-Tang, although it might not have carried him far, I'm not saying it carried him from a one to a four, but, you know, maybe from a three and a half to a four or something like that. So still a below average score there for sure, though. And then originality, he gets a five. We kind of spoke about that. First of all, I, I've spoken about this many times when covering other people. It's hard to get an originality read on somebody like that with, you know, that little amount of body of work. Now, it's difficult lyrically also, but it's not so much that it's difficult lyrically. It's just like I said before that everything is under more of a microscope. So you might have, you know, somebody that has 14 songs and they had one or two verses that were kind of, and it's like they get a four and a half, you know, from only having two iffy verses. Well, why? Because they didn't do anything to to counteract that balance. They didn't have any verses that were good, that, that brought them back to even. So it's not that it's difficult, but it's just that somebody could have one or two minor fuck-ups and wind up getting a lot worse of a score than, like I said, somebody like Snoop or E-40 or Tupac having one or two fuck-ups that really probably is hardly going to affect their score at all. Originality is a little bit more on the difficult side because originality comes from knowing that person and knowing what their goals are, what their message is, what type of music they generally make. I mean, do they make deep, meaningful things? Do they tell a lot of stories? Are they trying to get a message across? Are they talking about unique things? All these type of things. All these things, somebody's image, 
Um, even just to the artists that they work with and the amount of people that they borrowed other things from. These all go into somebody's originality score with only 22 songs. I mean, do it yourself. Go type in Timbo King on Google search or whatever and hit photos. There'll be photos of them, but you're only going to see so many things. Go type in Method Man and hit images. You're going to find images of Method Man from the 90s with a fro or corn rolls and fucking fangs in his mouth and uh, one white contact and shit like that. And then you're going to find pictures of Method Man a little bit older now. He's a little bit, you know, a little bit stockier and more jacked. And it's just, you're going to see so many different things from Meth. You will get an idea just from going to Google Images of how unique and how different this guy's image and style is and things like that. It's harder to get that read on somebody like Timbo King who really is not all over the front page like that. Now, that being said, if in those 22 songs, Timbo King had six or seven songs that were totally unique that I've never heard anybody else make songs about or even speak about that topic at all and he was able to hold that topic and his rhyme style and the way that he rhymed and the type of lines that he used and maybe the flow that he used or his delivery and his voice were totally out in left field and completely different than anything I had ever heard before, then sure, he probably gets, you know, closer to a nine in this category. But from the small body of work that I did hear from Timbo King, again, like I said, he didn't take much from other artists, but there wasn't a lot there. He didn't do a lot. And he also didn't bring a lot to the table in that short period of time. So again, that's not to say that he wouldn't have. That's not to say that he's not an original character. I don't know him personally and I don't know what he's like or really what he stands for or things like that. I can only go by what he presented in his music. And by what he presented in his music, he was average when it came to originality because there really wasn't much on either end of the spectrum. So... You add all those five numbers up and you get a final rating of 3.53, leaving Timbo King in 155th place of 174 artists done overall. So certainly not a great finish there for Timbo King. And I want that to be a testament of just how skilled and accomplished some of these artists are. Really think about this for a second. Here you have a guy who got almost average scores in everything. Lyrics, five. Songs, even. Impact, 4. Originality, 5. Albums, 3.63, which is, it's a little above average. It's not that every one of his albums were average. He did have the, the one good one. Um, so a little bit above average there, but I'm just trying to make a point. Nothing way above average, nothing way below average. The Impact score, a little below average, but not that bad. And the Album score, a little above average, but again, not by much. And he still winds up this far back in our list. So again, it just goes to show you how every little thing counts. And if you're not going to absolutely excel in at least one area, you'll have to in a couple of others if you want to finish anywhere even near above the halfway mark. And ironically enough, we actually just spoke about this last week about how, you know, people are getting these average scores and stuff like that and then still finishing really far behind. And I spoke about how when you hear this right here, if I was to just read to you off the top of my head, okay, listen, everything scale of 1 to 10, yada, yada, what's the scores? 5, 4, 5, like things like that. You're going to say, all right, how many people are in the study? 450. What's your guess for this guy? I don't know, just put him around 225, right? But then realistically, I mean, if you think about it, 
he's probably going to be closer to 400 when this is all said and done. Now, obviously, if he comes out with more material, his, his, any of his scores could raise very easily because with one more album, he's going to probably almost double his song output and double his catalog almost. So it's like with one more album, if he's good on it, he could raise his lyric score, he could raise his album score, he could raise his song score, he could possibly raise his impact score, which is probably the least likely of the five things, and he could definitely raise his originality score, even with just one or two super original songs or something like that. So, again, nothing set in stone, but just want to point out that we just spoke last week about people getting these average scores and then finishing behind the halfway mark where you would kind of assume they are. I mean, this guy getting mostly mostly average scores and he's way behind the halfway mark i mean he's closer to the bottom 10 than he is to halfway so again just let that be an example of how crucial every word that comes out of somebody's mouth is and everything that they've ever done from the start of their career all taken into account here now on to mop who will be scored as a group and not individuals, okay? We've gone over the reasons why groups are or aren't scored as individuals, but just to recap really quick, both of these guys were almost 100% equally on every MOP album and song, and neither one had any solo work or anything like that. Now, regardless of the solo work or lack thereof, had one been noticeably better or worse lyrically or overly unique or anything like that, then yes, individual scores would have probably been warranted because even though they were all on the same songs, there were definitely ways that there could have been separation created. But these two were a unit that never deviated in any way from each other, so they were scored as such. MOP had their debut album, like I said earlier, in 1994, also known as Mash Out Posse and The Marksman. Origins listed as New York City, New York, United States. The genres are listed as hip-hop. Years active are listed as 1992 to present. And their members are Lil Fame and Billy Dan's. So a bit of a background here on M.O.P. as a group. M.O.P., short for Mash Out Posse, is an American hip-hop duo. Composed of rappers Billy Dan's and Lil Fame, the duo are known for their aggressive lyrical delivery style. Although they maintain a strong underground following, they are mainly known for the song Anti Up released on their Warriors album in 2000 and with which they have had mainstream success. The group has frequently collaborated with DJ Premier. Fame sometimes produces under the moniker Fizzy Womack and has produced a significant number of tracks on all MOP releases since 1996's Firing Squad as well as work for other artists including Cool G Rap, Teflon, and Wu-Tang Clan. So, not too much there for M.O.P., but I did think the info on Little Fame's production was intriguing when I had first read that because that was something that I did not know about before I started this study, so interesting little fact there for sure, and I don't remember seeing that name, Fizzy Womack. I feel like I may have heard it before, but even if I had heard it or seen it, I didn't know off the top of my head that that was Little Fame, and regardless of the moniker or not, I really was not aware that Little Fame produced that much stuff both for M.O.P. and for other artists. So props to him for that. Shout out to him for that. And now let's get into my technical breakdown on Billy Dan's and Little Fame of M.O.P. I never was a huge M.O.P. fan, so I can't say I had a great deal of info on them before this, but I did not realize how much of a unit they were together. 
Neither Dan's nor Fame ever had a solo album. Only together with the group and both artists were on every song and were very consistent throughout their entire career. Fame seemed to maybe have had a few more one-liners than Billy Dan's, but neither guy had very many weak or amazing lines, and they worked very well together with little room for separation. Bar A usually led into Bar B, but they didn't always have the most topical songs to hold on to for a whole verse, and both guys finished just above average lyrically. M.O.P. was consistent with their music, qualifying seven albums, all of which were good. They also never had a great or anything even close to a weak song, again alluding to their consistency, and they did have 14 good songs. While Mash Out Posse certainly isn't a household name, they were definitely heavy in the streets, especially in Brooklyn, and had clear influences on rappers like Scarface, Tupac, Redman, and others. While they appear to be your typical New York street rappers with most songs generally about the same thing, they certainly did it in their own style. The two had good chemistry together, had a very unique way of delivering their lines and points, and were the first I heard to coin a few certain phrases, at least in rap songs. So, let's get into the math breakdown of them. Lyrics, they get a five and a half. Both were right on point with that. I mean, it was almost scary how much of a unit these dudes were. Um, a little bit early on, I had to really pay close attention and check some of the lyrics and things like that to make sure that I knew which guy was which because they really just created like no separation from each other. Like I said, there might've been a few more like one liners from little fame, but it was nothing that really put one guy on top of the other. But I did think that both of them did do enough to be just above average lyrically. So they get a five and a half there. Albums, they get a 3.72 with zero classics. Like we said, very consistent. That's not a tremendously high score, but seven albums, all good albums. It's an above average score. So songs, they get a zero. They break even in that department. There were no great songs, no weak songs, which we saw the same thing from Timbo King earlier, but I think it's a little bit more expected of somebody to kind of just fall in the middle when they only had 20 something songs. M.O.P. with seven albums and, you know, they had a decent amount of songs, not an overabundance like some of the other guys we were talking about earlier, but a decent enough amount of songs to where there could have been a weaker song somewhere in there. And not only was there not a weaker song, there, there was never even close to one. There was never a point that I debated in any way if that song was, ah, I don't know, man, that might have been a weaker song, you know, and sometimes I'll go back and listen to it again and and really make sure that I'm, I'm firm and believe in the decision that I'm making and ensure that this is what I'm going to give it. And I, I literally never even had to do that with them once. So again, not an overabundance of really good songs, no great songs or anything like that, but never came close to making a weak song. So, you know, they were just average songs or better throughout their entire career. Impact, they get a five and a half. And this is kind of, I think this is just fair. I mean, here you have a group that really was never commercially successful. I mean, like we spoke about in their in their background and their breakdowns and stuff, you know, they got a little bit of mainstream success from Annie Up and they they probably did okay with that Warriors album in 2000, which was definitely the peak of their career when we're talking about accolades and success and record sales and stuff like that. But even in that the the album didn't go platinum or anything like that and it was only the one um so in the mainstream not much there for them. I wouldn't call them a one-hit wonder because I'm not really sure that that song was like that bad. I mean, I guess it was a pretty big hit, but 
I guess you could call them a one-hit wonder, but there's a, a major, major difference between a one-hit wonder like Vanilla Ice and a one-hit wonder like MOP, right? So like somebody like Vanilla Ice, for example, if you turn around and you call Vanilla Ice a one-hit wonder or MC Hammer a one-hit wonder, and I'm not saying that any of these guys only had one song. MC Hammer had more than one single out, so that's not the point that I'm trying to make. But, I mean, everybody knows Hammer for Can't Touch This. So I'm just trying to make a point that if you want to talk about guys like that, we're like, oh, did he have anything else? No. And did MOP have anything else that was as successful as Annie Up? No. And they probably didn't have anything at all that was as successful as Can't Touch This or Ice Ice Baby. But that being said, MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice really had nothing else to offer when it came to the impact score, aside from having that one huge hit record. Okay, MOP was going to be MOP with or without that hit record. Trust me, okay? They stayed true to themselves. They never deviated from that. They came out how they came out. And even that song, Annie Up, that hit song, whatever the reasoning was behind that song blowing up, whether it was the right timing, whether it just happened to be that hit that was catchy, whether it had the right promotion and it was pushed by the right people, no matter what the reasoning was, MOP didn't make a, a, a song that was totally different from all their other music that they used to make that they didn't have commercial success with in order to get the commercial success. They stayed MOP on that song, they did what MOP does, and they got success off of it, and they never deviated from that even after that. They didn't make a turn after, oh, we like that success, let's make some more singles. MOP kept doing what MOP does, and MOP has the following that they have then, and they have the following that they have now. Okay, Vanilla Ice, I'm not saying there's no Vanilla Ice fans out there, and I'm not saying there's no MC Hammer fans out there, but what I'm trying to say to you is that if you look at the levels they hit, and the bottom levels that they've reached since they came out, there is a way, way, way greater gap there for those guys than there is for MOP. MOP stayed at an even keel their entire career, and then they just have one little thing that bloops up higher than the others, and then they stayed at an even keel again after that. So props to MOP for that, for sure. And they did have some influences on other artists like Scarface, Tupac, Redman. There were a couple of others in there that were questionable where it was like, ah, you know, they might have took that from MOP. I, you know, I don't know for sure, but it sounds very similar. I'm going to keep a note of it just in case I hear this guy do something else that sounds similar to MOP. Then, I, then, I'm, then I'm pretty sure that he's getting it from MOP. But a couple names there for sure. But like I said, no real major mainstream success. There's certainly not a household name outside of the hip-hop community. Inside the hip-hop community, a little bit of a different story. I don't know that they're really anybody that that people bring up as, you know, one of the greatest rappers of all time or really top dogs and stuff like that. But the point that I'm trying to make is that people that like MOP really fuck with MOP. They like that sound. They like that grittiness. They like that ruggedness that MOP brings. And... They, they got their own following their own way. So even though I think that there's a lot missing, there's not a large list of names, there's really no accolades and almost no successes commercially and things like that. But I think the fact that they stayed true to themselves and were still able to garnish an above average score for impact is, you know, that that's warranted and it deserves to be given some credit. So shout out to them for that. And originality, they get a six and a half. And... They, they did a pretty good job here getting a six and a half because 
Image wise, there really isn't anything super unique about these guys. You know, it's white tees and fitteds and big chains or, you know, a jersey and a do rag and a big chain and, you know, earrings or whatever the case is. And I'm not knocking that look, bro, because that look is hip hop. I get that. I'm not trying to knock anything at all. I'm just saying that look is pretty typical for a lot of East Coast rappers, specifically New York rappers and especially Brooklyn. So there wasn't much unique or standout about them when it came to that. When it came to their content and their material, same thing. They rapped about, and again, I'm not knocking this, okay? I spent a lot of my childhood in Brooklyn. I loved Brooklyn. Brooklyn was probably my favorite borough out of every borough in New York City, and I've been to all of them a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Me and my friends used to just take the trains everywhere, to the Bronx, to this spot, to that spot, Gun Hill Road in the in the Bronx, uh, Far Rockaway in Queens, uh, Manhattan, of course, obviously. So, you know, we went everywhere all the time. And just for me personally, Brooklyn was my favorite. So when I say it's typical Brooklyn shit, don't take that in a negative way. I love typical Brooklyn shit, but it's not that unique. It's not that different. It's not that original. So... With having this kind of typical New York image and this kind of typical New York content and shit like that, to still get a six and a half in originality is pretty impressive. And the way that they did it was by doing all these typical New York things because they wanted to show that they were New York and they love New York and New York is their home and they are New York to the fullest. But they were New York in their own fucking way. You know what I mean? It, it, you got the Tims and you got the T's and the fitteds and shit like that. But these guys sound, the way they were rapping, the way they were delivering, the way they were, you know, even some of the things that they said, I mean, these guys were very, very, I don't give a fuck and I'm going to say whatever the fuck I want. And if the radio decides not to play me or, you know, people try to, stores try to boycott my music or whatever, I don't give a fuck. I'm still going to say whatever the fuck I want. So... The originality was definitely there for them. Again, you can't get a through-the-roof score when that many things about you are typical Brooklyn or typical anything for that matter. But to be typical in more than one area and get a well-above-average score in the originality department is pretty impressive. So they definitely did their own thing for sure. You add those five numbers up and you divide by five and you get a final rating of 424 which leaves MOP tied for 93rd place of 174 artists done overall. So just behind the halfway mark there for MOP, and I guess for me personally, I, I mean, I guess that's kind of where I would have guessed they would finish before this started. I mean, I don't have an exact answer for you, but right around the middle sounds about right to me, even though I don't think that I realized there was going to be, you know, 400 plus people on this list. So I'm not saying that it would have had MOP at 200, but I think whatever the list that I would have came up with off the top of my head, let's say it was 100 people, I would have probably had MOP around 50. So, you know, nonetheless, very unique sound and delivery by MOP, worked very well together as a unit, had successes on both sides of the boards as far as music is concerned, you know, behind the scenes, some production, things like that, and then obviously being rappers themselves and having whatever successes they did have. So, shout out to MOP for sure. And now, let's get into our list. So, obviously, we're going to start with our top 15% overall. 
Unfortunately, none of the three members here today were able to crack this list, so the list stays the same as it was last week again. In our top spot, we got Black Thought of The Roots in 8th place of 173 artists done overall. Directly behind him in a three-way tie for 9th place is Tupac. Behind Pac, we have Pharrell Monch, who's tied for 12th. Back in 15th is KRS-One, and then Jizza is back in 18th place. Couple of slots back in 20th is Slick Rick, and a couple of slots back from him is Rakim, who's in 22nd place. Directly behind Rakim in 23rd place is Redman, and directly behind him is Common, who's in 24th. Behind Common in 27th, we have MF Doom, and then directly behind MF Doom, we have Rev Run of Run DMC, who's in 28th place. Directly behind him in 29th is LL Cool J, and then a couple of slots back from Cool J, we got Will Smith, who's in 31st. Directly behind Will Smith, we got Sticky Fingers of Onyx and Crazy Bone of Bone Thugs and Harmony, who are both tied for 32nd. And then a couple of slots back from them, we have Lazy Bone of Bone Thugs and Harmony, who's sitting in 34th place. A couple of slots behind Lazy, we have a tie for 36th place between DMC of Run DMC and Ice Cube of NWA. Like I said, they are both tied for 36th place of 173 artists done overall. So, again, man, shout-outs to everybody that's in that top 15% list. It's been staying a lot more the same a lot lately, and I, I think that, you know, that's going to kind of be a little bit of a trend going forward. You know, it's not, when you have this many guys, it's not every week or two that we're going to get guys cracking these top rankings and shit like that. I mean, there can only be so many people that are going to go in there. And quite frankly, yeah, there's space. We're naming 17 names, and we got all the way down to 36th place. So on average, we're missing one person like in between everybody. So yeah, this isn't necessarily your real top 17 list. But in general, I think those names are some pretty solid names. Like I'm not really upset that the people that we've been covering the past couple of weeks haven't finished on top of these people. I mean, we got some absolute fucking legends in that list and some people who I feel definitely deserve to be up there whether I like them or not. So now let's get into our current top 10% lyrically, and there are no changes to this list today either. So in our top lyrical spot, we have a tie between Pharaoh Manch and Black Thought of the Roots, who both got lyrical scores of 8.5. Behind them, we have a three-way tie for third place between Master Ace, Jizza, and Common, who all got lyrical scores of 7.5. And, and then behind them, we have another tie for 6th place between KRS-One and Lord Finesse, who both got lyrical scores of 7. And then behind them, we have an 8-way tie for 8th place between Will Smith, Rakim, Cool G Rap, Everlast, Tupac, Redman, Sticky Fingers of Onyx, and Lazy Bone of Bone Thugs and Harmony. All of those artists received a lyrical score of 6.5. So... That list remains the same as last week, and I feel like we're starting to see a trend here in the mid-90s portion of Season 2 where not a lot of artists seem to be able to crack this top 15% or this top 10% lyrically, and we've gone through at least 8 people thus far since our return, and not a single one really able to crack like any of these lists. So... An interesting bit of information there, and like I said, I do think that the further along that we go, obviously the less likely it's going to be that people crack it as often, but I'm curious to see whether it's a trend of, you know, an area that we're stuck in where 
94, 95, 96, whatever it is, even if it's just 94, 95, where we're kind of we're kind of stuck in this little bit of a rut here where nobody from a two, three, maybe four-year window, whatever it is, because we were in 93 when we came back after the break, so include 93 in that. You know, you might be talking about 93, 94, 95, three, four-year window, whatever it is, however long this goes on for, when nobody, not a single artist from any of these years able to crack that top 15%. And again, that's really not even the top 15% overall. That's just the top 15% of the artists covered so far. So I'm curious to see whether it's the time period that we're in or whether it's the fact that we really just have some absolute legends that are not going to be topped in our top list right now. And those guys are going to go forward and hang on to those spots. I don't know. That remains to be seen. Uh, I'm curious to see what happens as we go along, but I mean, it's, you know, a couple weeks here now and we haven't had a single person really crack any of these lists. So now let's get on to our particular decades list. Starting with our legends, we're going to go with our top five rappers to make their debut in the 1980s. So your top five rappers to make their debut in the 80s are KRS-One, Slick Rick, Rakim, Rev Run of Run DMC, and LL Cool J in that order. That, I don't believe that that list has changed at all since we've started naming it, and I don't believe that it's ever going to. So, again, one way or the other, get used to those names. They're major, and I doubt they're going anywhere. Now on to our top five artists to make their debut in the 90s so far, and once again, there are no changes to this list today either. So your top five rappers to come out in the 90s so far are Black Thought of the Roots, Tupac, Pharoah Manch, Jizza, and Redman, in that order. So obviously, shout outs to the kings of their respective decades. I'm pretty sure that those 80s kings are going to stay in there and hang on, probably in that order. The 90s, I don't know. That remains to be seen. We're still going through the 90s. We're not even halfway through the 90s yet. We're just about halfway, but not quite so I can't say that nobody will get in that top five of the 90s going forward, but they've been hanging on for a while now. That's been a pretty solid list of five, and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere anywhere soon. So now let's get into our new list that we started since our return of our top three artists from each region of the country. We'll start on the East Coast. Our top rapper to come out of the East Coast thus far is Black Thought from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Behind him, Pharaoh Monch from Queens, New York. And behind him, KRS-One from the Bronx, New York. Moving over to our West Coast. Our top West Coast rapper thus far is Tupac from Marin County, California. Behind him, we have Ice Cube of NWA from Los Angeles, California. And behind him, we have Everlast, also from Los Angeles, California. So, West Coast there, we got all three guys coming from California, I, I, don't, I don't mean to be a dick about this, but it's a little bit like funny to me, like laughable to me. Like I grew up in New York City and I always took pride in the fact that I grew up and lived in New York City and I always just held New York City in a different regard than everybody else. And the thing was that I could say that rappers from New York were the best and people would turn around and say, ah, oh, you're biased, you're from New York, whatever the case was, right? But one thing that we couldn't really argue about was we started hip-hop. Now, it obviously wasn't me. I had nothing to do with starting hip-hop. I wasn't even alive when hip-hop started to, to have any type of hand in that. But I still was born and raised in New York City, and that still is the birthplace of hip-hop. So it was like, you don't have to listen to me. You don't have to take my opinion for it. 
where the fucking originators, bro? Like, you know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, when you take out your nostalgia and you take out who you love and what places you love and all these types of things and you factor in the actual math of everything, well, what is somebody's impact? What is, you know, what do they bring to the table with skills and lyrics? How many great songs did they have as opposed to how many terrible songs they had? How were their albums? Were they able to put out good albums, great albums, classic albums? When you do all that, we have a guy who's in the top spot of the East Coast, and he's from Pennsylvania, which ironically enough is where I live now. And I'm not saying that that has anything to do with anything or that I want a guy from Pennsylvania to be in the top spot. I just think it's ironic how when I lived in New York, I wasn't hearing anything from anybody. I had that New York arrogance. Now putting that aside and just scoring people for what they are, really when you think about it and when you break it down, the best rapper from the East Coast is not from New York, period. And that may change. That may change. Best rapper from the East Coast might wind up being from New York. I don't know. But right now, so far, up to 1994, it's not. Best rapper from the East Coast is from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Then you move to the West Coast and you have every single person from California. I'll be very curious to see how these lists end up when this is all said and done. I'll be very curious to see if somebody or even if all three are from that New York area when it comes to the best rappers in the East Coast. I'll be curious to see if the West Coast will be filled with everybody from California and then moving down to the South now, our top three rappers from the South are, at number one, Scarface of the Ghetto Boys from Houston, Texas. Then Bun B of UGK, also from Houston, Texas. And then Willie D of the Ghetto Boys, also from Houston, Texas. So again, moving on, I'll be curious to see, is the South's top artists that come out all filled with people from Houston, Texas? Now, realistically... I doubt that any of these things are really going to happen. I do probably expect the best East Coast rapper to be from New York. Um, I don't know that all three of the top East Coast rappers will be from New York. I don't particularly foresee everybody from the top three of the West Coast being from California, but it's certainly possible. And I definitely, above all, don't see, and there's no reason behind me saying this. I'm not trying to shit on Cali or Houston or anything. I'm just saying, if you were to ask me off the top of my head, I would have never gave this to you. I don't at all expect for all three of the top people that come out of the South to all be from Houston, Texas either. Are they all going to be from Texas? I don't know, maybe. But to all be from the same city is crazy, especially when we're talking about down South, right? Because there's a little bit more to down south than there is of the west coast. And the reason I say that is that California is the largest state in America. And it takes up most of the west coast. So it's not that surprising that everybody from the west thus far has been from California. But there are other places on the west coast. And I'm sure there are probably some pretty dope rappers from there. So I don't know whether everybody will stay from Cali. But when you talk about the south, I mean... You're talking about Houston, Texas, Dallas, Texas. You're talking about Miami, Florida. You're, there's a lot of places down there that I know for sure that there's a decent amount of successful rappers that came out of. So if you would ask me off the top of my head, where do I think people from down south are going to finish? You know, Atlanta's another one. I would never say to you, I think every single person's going to be not only from Texas, but specifically from Houston, Texas. 
So getting those out of the way and moving on to the Midwest. A top rapper from the Midwest thus far is Common from Chicago, Illinois. Behind him, we have Crazy Bone of Bone Thugs and Harmony, who's from Cleveland, Ohio. And then behind him, we have Lazy Bone of Bone Thugs and Harmony, who's also from Cleveland, Ohio. So, again, I mean, we're a little bit of disparity there, right? In the East Coast, we got PA, New York, New York. Then we got all Cali, and then we have all Houston, Texas. Now we got Chicago, Cleveland, Cleveland. Now, I obviously don't know what any of these lists are going to end up looking like, but the fact that they've started off like this makes me even more curious than I originally was to do this list. Because at first, I just was just curious. Well, I wonder who, you know, there's a lot of really good guys in here that maybe didn't make the top 15% or whatever the case is, but they were really good lyrically. Or, you know, they uh, they were the best guy from their area. Not overall, but from their area. And it's like, everybody deserves credit for what they were really good at, right? So I'm curious. Who's the best guys from the East? Who's the best guys from the West? Who's You know, so just pure curiosity there for me. And also just trying to give everybody a little bit of a place to shine in their own respective right. But the fact that there's just so many similarities going on here with these top guys from each region it just makes me more and more curious to to see what this ends up as not only to see who the best person from each place is but to see where the best people are coming from from each place so yeah okay these are your top guys from from the east coast but where are they all coming from or are they all coming from the same place so like we discussed earlier, no changes to any of these lists today. We'll have to see how long this trend continues here in the mid-90s. I remember when doing this study, I deemed 1994 to be the year of the average rapper. And that's not to say that everybody that came out in 1994 was average. Some were you know, below average and there were some really good or great rappers that did come out this year. But, you know, if there was 15 guys, it just seemed like, you know, 12 or 13 of them were just like, all right, whatever. I mean, they didn't really do anything good or bad. So most artists from that year seemed to get very average scores across the board for the most part. But if my memory serves me correct, we won't be waiting too long until we see some changes to some of these lists. So stay tuned. If you'd like to see any of these lists in full, you can give the Facebook website a visit at www.facebook.com slash tale of the tapes podcast. You can also give the host website a visit at www.anchor.fm. There is a support button on the Anchor homepage. I would greatly appreciate anybody hitting it. So thank you for that. And that's it for this week's episode, man. Next week, we have Shaheem and Nas. And if I remember correctly, this is another one with a very big disparity between the two artists covered in one episode. I remember we had a giant disparity when we did, uh, I believe it was Master P and Jizza were in the same episode. So this is another one where if I remember correctly, there's a big disparity here between these two artists. I'm sure people have their idea of what I'm talking about, but I don't want to give too much away. So... I'm sure that you're pretty well aware that this episode next week is going to be a big one, hint, hint, so I wouldn't miss it if I were you. Tale of the tapes. Peace. Tale of the tapes. Might as well.